welcome back. It's Lou Bell from Rolling for Recipes. I just wanted to say that today I am recording in a brand new, ultra-luxurious, swanky, very professional recording studio. Not really. It's my car. I'm out in my detached single car garage in my car trying to see if I can do a better job recording out here and get a little better sound quality. So we shall see what happens. The day that this episode will release, which is this Friday, April 15th, will be a special day in my heart. It's my son's birthday. It also marks the third month anniversary of when I cut the cord of the corporate life that I had before and decided to go on this journey with you to become something else. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I'm certainly having a great time working on it. So happy listening. I hope you enjoy this episode. Episode four, we're going to talk about the book of the week from last week, which was Chef Paul Prudhomme's Louisiana Tastes. I'm going to introduce the next week's book um, that we just rolled for this last Sunday. And I'm going to introduce two new segments. The first new segment will be, I want to do a chef spotlight every week. This week, I'm going to do Chef Paul Prudhomme. It won't always be a chef associated with the current book of the week or last week's book of the week or even a recent book of the week. But I do want to start adding that little bit in and we'll see if if that is something that you like. My other new segment will be, I want to highlight a kitchen tool of the week for your edification. I just want to share what I like to use in the kitchen with you to try to help make your cooking easier and more fun for you. So let's just get right into it. You know, this is a reality podcast. This is not a highly produced, as you well know, if you've listened to me talking before, I'm not a professional. I'm a person who's had just regular jobs in the past, just regular careers. I am learning all of this from scratch, just like the cooking is from scratch. I am learning how to make a podcast from scratch with zero help or hired uh, engineers or producers or editors or anything like that. And because this show is a reality-based show, it's based on me and my family and our experiences with our goofy game that we made up during the pandemic called Rolling for Recipes. Because this is a reality podcast, it's not going to be perfectly synchronized every week. This last book, Chef Paul Prudhomme's Louisiana Tastes, was very challenging for all of us McDoobies. I ended up being the only one to cook anything out of it. So you have to just sit back and relax and hear only about my experiences because both Big Papa McDoobie and Junior McDoobie, I don't want to say they failed to make anything, but they did not pick up the book and make anything out of it this time. There's a couple of reasons for that. I won't go into it very long, but A, we had nearly triple digit heat last week. Very difficult to bake and you don't, you're not even hungry when it's that hot, right? Also, Junior's been working very hard. And then the recipe that Mr. McDoobie picked out 
turns out it's going to be perfect for Junior's birthday. So we're saving that recipe for his birthday. So I will regale you with tales of what I made. And it's kind of interesting. I made two things because I was so disappointed with the first thing that I made that I just did not want to give up on Paul. And I did not want to give up on this book because there is some really, or should I say are, there are some really cool things about this particular cookbook of Chef Paul Prudhomme's, which he wrote 11 cookbooks. So he, he was a very prolific author. The first recipe that I tried to make, I waited until it wasn't quite as hot outside and I didn't want to give up. I wanted to make sure that I had something fun to talk about or at least interesting to talk about to you. So I tried his fresh ginger gingerbread. It sounded super interesting to me because I love fresh ginger. And in the caption of the recipe, he said that he and his tasting or recipe testing staff excuse me, that was a bubble water burp. Sorry about that. He and his recipe tasting crew or testing crew, I should say, all had decided that this cake or gingerbread tasted the way that gingerbread must have tasted back before there was processed dried ginger. So it was interesting. So I went to work on this recipe and lots of odd things about it from the get go. I was like, hmm, I noticed there was no salt in the recipe. It called for unsalted butter. Instead of molasses, he had you put in an entire cup of maple syrup. I used my beautiful organic $10 bottle of syrup in mine. And and then he had you make a ginger syrup to put. That's how you would get the ginger flavor in, obviously. So he had you dice up a third of a cup, or was it a quarter? Quarter of a cup of fresh ginger and put it in a cup of water and you're going to simmer it down and make it into a syrup. Well, he said in the directions to keep an eye on it, you wanted to end up with a half a cup of syrup. So that, that was the key word, syrup. I ended up having to put more water in. I ended up having to cook some more ginger because I, I couldn't end up with a half of a cup of syrup. It kept evaporating. And I went round and round. I talked to Mr. McDoobie about it. I read the recipe several times through. It didn't say whether or not I was supposed to strain out the solids. Well, I made an ex- an executive chef decision and thought to myself, would I want to chomp on little bits of ginger in the cake? And it's not crystallized ginger. This was just raw, fresh ginger that was simmering. So I d- ultimately, I decided I should strain it out. And I thought the recipe had just somehow skipped that step. I strained it out because I wanted just the syrupy part and the chunks didn't seem like syrup to me tasted it with my pinky finger and it tasted spicy like ginger does. I put it into the batter, proceeded to bake it, had a moment of pause where I thought, gosh, I really want to add some dry ginger to this recipe. So I really like that ginger flavor, but I thought, no, let me just give this recipe a chance by itself and make sure it can stand on its own without me messing around with it. I put it in the oven for 40 minutes. Well, after 40 minutes, the batter was still a lake in the middle of the pan. So I kept cooking it. I ended up cooking that dang stuff for 90 minutes. I couldn't even believe it. By the time um, it cooled off and I tasted it, I was so saddened. I don't know why I got so emotionally involved in this particular recipe, but I was really saddened by it. I thought, God, what a waste of those 
organic double yolk eggs that I had and my organic sugar and my organic flour and organic maple syrup that I use because unfortunately this quote unquote gingerbread didn't taste anything like ginger and I admit this could be my fault for discarding the solids but it also barely even tasted like the maple so you couldn't even call it a maple cake and but the worst part was even after all that baking it still seemed raw to me on the bottom the flavor was okay but it certainly wasn't gingerbread and didn't taste like ginger whatsoever. The next morning, I took a chunk of it over to my sister's house. She's a, a really good baker. Her and I used to watch great British baking show together and love that show. So I took it over there so she could do a Mary Berry Paul Hollywood examination of this dang stuff that I made. And she thought that maybe the maple syrup was so heavy that it settled on the bottom. Also thought that it was a weird recipe and very odd that it did not have any molasses in it. So long story short, I probably am going to try making a fresh ginger gingerbread again. But you know, and I'm all for innovation. Yay, think of something new, try out something different. That's cool. But don't mess with gingerbread. <laughs> it's too good to mess with it, especially since I have Star's Desserts Cookbook, and it has the most amazing gingerbread recipe in it. So very disappointed in that. But like I said, I did not want to give up on Paul. He's too important of a guy, especially in our family. So I picked another recipe, and forgive me if I butcher the way that this is pronounced, but it's it was called Glazed Merletons and Other Good Veggies. Now a Merleton I used to say Merleton, which I found out was wrong, is a squash. And here in Southern California, call it chayote, C-H-A-Y-O-T-E, chayote squash. But apparently in Louisiana, they are called Merleton and they're very popular. So this was a vegetable relish with an interesting spice blend, coriander and cloves I thought was very interesting and then basics like onion and garlic and salt and cayenne pepper because it's Chef Paul of course there's cayenne and it was a large quantity of vegetables that are diced up into half inch cubes and you cook them in this spiced water that's got the spice blend and a cup and a half of sugar which seemed like a lot to me I was very tempted to leave out a half a cup but I didn't. And I think that if I was to make it again, I would probably leave out some of the sugar. It's just a lot. So the challenge with this recipe was, unlike some of the other recipes in the book, where the chef had really great notes on what was happening at each stage of the recipe, which I really think is the value of this cookbook, is there was a good number of recipes that had short, separate notes at, sta at different stages of the cooking of a dish to let you know what's going on, like what it should be tasting like at that point, why he had you do something. Well, with the dish that I was making, he had you get this liquid boiling and then add four cups of the squash to it. That's a, that's a lot of cold item to add to that hot water. So it immediately stopped boiling. He said to cook it for four minutes. Didn't say to, Didn't say if it was supposed to be a simmer a boil, anything like that, or what texture I'm trying to achieve. So I cooked it longer. 
was like, there's just no way this is cooking. I just dumped four cups of cold vegetables into three cups of hot water and spices and sugar. And so I had to cook that a little bit longer. I knew that the intention was to have a, a probably a crispier type vegetable with this cold relish that we're making. Well, the recipe called for the cut up vegetables to be put in at different stages and cooked for X amount of time each. I ended up cooking all of it longer than the recipe called for. And I'm guessing that's because I don't have a commercial stove and commercial equipment. And that's, I've said this, and I'll probably say it every episode, that these recipes are tested in commercial kitchens. And you have to be aware of that. And I think that that's why so many home cooks get disappointed because they follow the recipe to the letter and it's not taking into account their own equipment. So I got through all of that. And the whole time I kind of had this weird, like, high anxiety about it. Like, God, what if this doesn't come out either? I'm going to be so saddened. This food's just too important to me, I guess. But finished making this, cooking all the vegetables. You take them out of the liquid, let them cool off. Although the recipe didn't say to, I took out a couple of cookie sheets and just spread the vegetables out. It's a pretty obvious way to help get the vegetables cooled down. I'm not a genius. I just try to be logical. And then you would uh, take the rest of the liquid that was left from cooking the vegetables and you add vinegar to it. It's white balsamic, uh, white wine vinegar, and apple cider vinegar. Well, I know why he wanted the white balsamic. It was so the vegetables would retain their color. I didn't have white balsamic, so I just went ahead and used the regular aged balsamic that I had and the apple cider vinegar. And it was also very odd two uh, peeled citrus, uh, one peeled lemon and sectioned and peeled and sectioned lime. So when you're eating this stuff, this this relish, this vegetable relish, which is really good, whole family really liked it a lot. We served it with some chicken last night. It was really good, kind of a clovey, pickly, sweet and sour kind of really good accompaniment to other dishes. You don't want to be chomping on a lime or a lemon segment. So that's kind of weird, but you just get that boiled. And then you, once the vegetables are cool and the, and the sauce is cool, you mix them all together. I packed mine in a big jar and put it in the refrigerator and I was really pleased with it. And I think that that's something that we definitely would make again. Don't think it needed quite that much sugar, like I said, but that was good. And I felt I felt so relieved that a recipe came out good from that book because I didn't want to like not recommend the book at all. But now that I've cooked those two recipes and spent some time with the book, getting to know the, the different recipes and what Paul, Chef Paul was presenting in this book, I would say that if you were to see this book in a used bookstore, or a thrift store, or at a garage sale, or someone wants to give it to you, go ahead and get it. It's not the kind of book that I would recommend that a really new cook seek out because of the fact that a lot of the recipes, if not all of them, required specialty ingredients. It was one of the, another one of the challenges that we had. Like everything we looked at, I was like, oh, geez, I'm going to have to go to the store to get that. Go to the store, can't find the item. It, it was a little bit of a pain because of that, but also because... I feel like the, the since I the two recipes that I tried the cooking times were not right on either one, so I think that a very new cook would not be a good book for them. However, if you're someone who wants to learn about 
how flavor is built. The, the notes in the recipes were really good. I really enjoyed what he was doing there. It's for instance, on the stuffed turkey breasts recipe, at some point in the cooking process, he has these notes that say, and I'm going to just read this to you. At this point, the first taste is the quick hit of sweet caramelized onions, followed immediately by the very salty and slightly sour and smoky garlic taste of the chorizo. Underneath the other flavors is the barest hint of fresh ginger. So I, I, I think that's cool. I don't think I've ever seen a recipe book, cookbook like this, that has these extra comments. I wish it was on every recipe, but gosh, that must have been a lot of work. I think that must be why it's not on every single one. Here's another one. It just says, resist the temptation to eat the potatoes right now. This is for the andouille shepherd's pie. He says in his notes, they're rich and tasty with a light gold color and a pleasant light seasoning level. And then lower down in, in step number four, he says, wow, the flavor now is hot but sweet. I just think that's just neat. So all in all, I would not recommend this book for the average home cook or newer home cook. It certainly has value. The The writing is very, like I said before, very approachable. He's just so friendly. I, I like his writing style. And he even talks a little bit about his childhood in here. He is a master of flavor. Don't get me wrong about Chef Paul Perdome and don't don't get the wrong impression here with what I made out of this particular book. He is a master of flavor. And that came true with, with the glazed merleton and other good vegetables that I made. The relish flavor is quite outstanding. The only reason I would cut back on the sugar is just because I don't like to eat a lot of sugar. It did taste delicious. All right, that wraps up our segment from the book of the week from last week. into my new segment, The Chef Spotlight. And we'll just talk about Chef Paul for a few moments here. He was a self-trained chef completely. He learned from his mother. He was the youngest of 13. His mother was a creative cook. And he lived in, I'm not sure if I'm going to say this right, Opelousas. Opelousas? In the St. Landry Parish in Louisiana. And yes, I am looking at Wikipedia. I did not try to memorize this for you. I know from reading about him before that from the last cookbook that I had, oh, actually, you got, you don't know about this one. Before I started the podcast, we had, we were playing our weekly game like we do, and we had rolled and landed on Chef Paul Prudhomme's family cookbook. That was a fascinating book. It was his family's recipes. Really cool. And I learned from that book that his family, when he was growing up in Louisiana, the youngest of 13 children, that, excuse me again, no more bubble water while I'm recording. The youngest of 13 children, they did raise all of their own food, produce, animals, all of that stuff. And he became very interested in food and cooking. And He's, he went through a few restaurants, tried his own, opening up his own. He started making those famous spice mixes and giving them away. And as he got more and more experience, eventually he, he became the first American-born executive chef at Commander's Palace, which is an amazing, I haven't been there, <laughs> but I'm, I've heard all about it, amazing, amazing restaurant in New Orleans. 
And he also opened his own restaurants called K. K Paul's Louisiana Kitchen in the French Quarter. And he kept on working and expanding his knowledge and writing cookbooks, just all kinds of awards, very famous guy. He was a celebrity chef. And uh, unfortunately, he did pass away in 2013, I believe. Let me just check and make sure that's right. I know that he had gotten very overweight. Oh, 2015. He he was, oh, well, he lived to be 75. Good for him. Wow, that's amazing. Anyhow, Chef Paul Prudhomme, like I mentioned last time, big, big influence on Big Papa's cooking. Amazing food. Definitely have to be in the mood for something a little heavier most of the time with his food. Although he does have a cookbook when he, he was trying to lose weight and he wrote a book called A Fork in the Road. And I believe we own that book too. <laughs> Since I'm sitting in my car, I can't go check the book. So I'm not sure if we own that one, but I think we do. Maybe we'll roll for that book one of these days. Who knows? So that was a little spotlight on Chef Paul Bordeaux. Next up is the intro for next week's book. If you follow Rolling for Recipes on Instagram, you'll know before the podcast comes out the book of the week, because I do post every Monday the book that we rolled on Sunday. And um, this one is a really interesting book. I, I mentioned in my Instagram post that it's a serious book. I call this a foundation cookbook. It's actually a textbook from the Culinary Institute of America. And it's called, I, now I'm going to say this right, because me and Junior McDoobie looked it up last night so I could say it right. It's spelled G-A-R-D-E and then M-A-N-G-E-R. And it's pronounced Garde Manger. It literally translates into keeping to eat. It's a cool book. It, this, is, this is one that we're all really excited to cook out of. It's the art and craft of what's called the cold kitchen. <laughs> I Now, when I first saw that, I thought, oh, everything in this book must be a cold thing. But it's not. It It's literally based in history and on how the word larder came about and how food storage first came about. We're talking centuries ago. And it's all about how food is preserved, salting and making cheese all of that kind of thing. And, but it also has the basics of different emulsions and vinaigrettes and salad dressing and salsa salads and sandwiches. This is a 600 page tome. Garde Manger, the art and craft of the cold kitchen, the Culinary Institute of America. The Culinary Institute of America is legit. And this book would be a wonderful, oh, look at me, I'm already trying to recommend it. <laughs> and I haven't even cooked anything out of it. Well, shame on me for forgetting what the heck I was doing, right? But I definitely will not be making any kind of pate. Ugh, I think that stuff's gross. But there is some really interesting looking stuff like dates stuffed with Borsen cheese. That sounds like kind of a pain. Because it has a whole thing on appetizers. Marinated sheep's milk cheese with herbs de Provence. That's beautiful looking. Anyway, I don't want to give away too much about this book or I wouldn't have anything to talk to you about next week. Now, would I? I plan on diving into the 
Oh, now I can't remember how to say it again already. Oh, my jeez. Garde Manger. Garde Manger, the art and craft of the cold kitchen. I'm going to dive into the foreword of that book in next week's episode and talk to you a little bit about the history of the Garde Manger position in a professional kitchen. It's really cool. I like this book. I'm excited about it. See what we're going to make out of that. So next up, I wanted to introduce another new segment. That is my kitchen equipment recommendations. I think I want to spotlight my favorite kitchen tools. I don't know if I'll specifically recommend certain brands or not, but so this week, let's start out with my first recommendation for your cooking enjoyment is get yourself an immersion blender. I have an immersion blender with some attachments and that's what I recommend. Uh, Gadgets range in price from 30 bucks to probably 160 bucks at Williams Sonoma. I of course got mine on Amazon, but it's just, it's such a cool, awesome tool that will make your life easier and your cooking more enjoyable. You use it for pureeing soup right in the pot. You don't have to take it out and put it in your blender. I particularly like mine that came with a mini little chopper that it's just so easy to use and the the balloon whisk that it came with. I was making chocolate mousse not too long ago and man that it whipped it up so thick. It was almost like chocolate butter. <laughs> so it's a great tool and I highly recommend that you get yourself some kind of an immersion blender preferably with some attachments such as the mini chopper and the balloon whisk. And that will make your cooking that much more fun. So that concludes the rest of today's episode. I will have bonus content again if you want to stick around after the show. I will have more behind the scenes with Rolling for Recipes, uh, talking candidly all about my experiences of starting a podcast from scratch and not knowing what the heck I'm doing. So thank you so much for joining me again today. Please go to my website, rollingforrecipes.com and subscribe to the Spam Free Zone and also follow Rolling for Recipes on Instagram. Thanks again for listening and it's Lou Bell McDoobie signing out. sticking around. Bluebell here. I wanted to just chat again a little bit about my experiences with creating the podcast, Rolling for Recipes from scratch without knowing what the heck I'm doing. Well, the recording is getting easier. I actually think I like recording in the car. It felt pretty good. A little dark in here, but didn't need to have any light to talk, right? So that seems to be working out pretty well. And I wanted to share that as a podcaster, I have access to the analytics of how the show is doing. And I was so excited to see that I've reached what my daughter called an international audience. I was just like, wow, that's really neat. I've had, of course, the bulk of the people that are listening are here in the States. And then I've had one person from Canada, 
two people from India and one person from France. So that was the funnest thing that I saw behind the scenes last week was learning about my listening audience. Now, it's very small. It's not a lot of people, but it's more than I thought would be listening to it. And that's a thrill. It's really fun to to know that someone's listening and hopefully getting something good out of it and getting a smile, learning something, being entertained, hopefully being encouraged. So that's all good. As far as the back end stuff goes, oh my gosh, I've been very frustrated with the website. I bought a security certificate that obviously makes my site more secure and learning how to install that has been way harder than it should be. And I was pretty frustrated this morning with it. Still haven't got that finished, but I'm hoping to. And what else happened this week? Oh, I started a Twitter account. I know that I should, uh, the expert that I listened to, Mark Asquith, recommended that you, as a new podcaster, don't try to be active on too many platforms. And Instagram has been my go-to platform for probably a good eight years the only platform that I was on. And now that I started Rolling for Recipes, I started another Instagram account for Lubel McDoobie. And that second account, I will be probably sharing the behind the scenes stuff on that account. And then the Rolling for Recipes account will, will be dedicated to just the game itself and the podcast. And then I've also started, like I just mentioned, I started a Twitter account And I have a TikTok. And like I mentioned last week, I have YouTube. Well, the TikTok is weird. I know it reaches a lot of people, but whenever I log into that one, I'm just like, what in the heck's going on here? But I I think I might keep trying on that one for a little while. The YouTube channel is still empty. Like I mentioned before, I do not have the filming down at all. Hope to get to that soon. Uh, Twitter, I know how to use Twitter. And I'm not sure if I might just try that for a little bit longer. But I might just cancel all of that and just stick to Instagram. I don't know, that'll all get itself. It'll all figure it out as it goes along. I was just having a really good conversation with a friend of mine. And I was explaining to her that I feel like this. I feel that this podcast experience is the growth of it. And how it's morphing is not linear at all. It's it's an orb It's like this glowing orb that's kind of expanding and I keep getting more ideas of more things that I could do with it and ways I could branch out. Thinking about starting a book club for one thing. It's interesting because in my old life, in my very serious career I was in, I really liked things to be super organized and I still would like things to be organized. But guess what I'm trying to say is that I had very specific processes in place to accomplish the huge amount of work that I had to do back then. And with this, it's because it's it's anchored in the creativity, it feels much more amorphous. I hope you can get what I'm saying there. It feels very, I guess it must be because it's a creative journey. And even though there are all these technical tasks and functions that, that need to be done in a specific way, it still feels like this glowing orb of isness. I don't know, I'm going off the deep end there. But that's what I've been thinking about lately with the podcast. And 
the interesting trajectory that it's taking me on. Well, before I wax any more philosophical on you today, I do want to let you know that next week's episode will be recorded on a tropical island. I was invited to go to Hawaii and I said yes. And so I plan on recording next week's episode in Hawaii and hope to entertain you even more. It'll be an interesting episode because we'll be celebrating Earth Day and my birthday and it will be on a tropical island. So sounds cool. Hope you'll tune in. And as always, I appreciate you sticking around for the bonus content and for listening to the episodes and for recommending it to your friends. Everything that you've done, I appreciate you so much. I am grateful for you. I hope you had a great time today. I think recording in my car worked pretty good. And uh, who knows how it's going to sound next week. Aloha and ta-ta for now. Bluebell McDoobie signing out. Bye.